Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. verses and then I'll allow you to be seated. I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter, if that's okay, to get our bearings today. I'm going to read just a couple of verses. I'm going to read the first verse and I'm also going to read the 12th verse just to get us started and I'll pray and then I'll let you sit and and we'll we'll look and I'll read the rest of the chapter to get our bearings here this morning. The Bible says in Psalms 90 and verse number one, this is this is the, the prayer of Moses. That's what I'm going to teach about today, the prayer of Moses. So this is the prayer of Moses. Uh, it's uh, attributed to him. The Bible says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto Wisdom, And I want to talk a little while this morning about this prayer of Moses. Amen. Let's pray today and I'll allow you to be seated. Father, I love you this morning. Pray, oh God, enlighten our hearts and our minds today, God, by your word. God, for your word is forever settled in heaven. God, not one jot or tittle of your word, Lord Jesus, will pass away until all comes to fulfillment. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. I pray, oh God, today, it is a settled word. Settle it, Lord, within the hearts and the minds of your people today. God, it will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do, Lord, through and by your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I'll continue. I'll start with verse 1 and just continue down to verse 17. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, sayest, return ye, children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou set our iniquities before thee and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale. That is told the days of our years are three score years and ten. That's 70. And if by reason of strength, they be four score years. That's 80. Yet is their strength, labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear. So is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us, 
Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Amen. Moses says, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. According to homesecuritysystems.net, here are some of the most current crime statistics as they relate to home security system. Burglaries in the U.S. occur once every 15 seconds in the United States. You are three times as likely to be a burglary victim if you do not have one of these home security systems installed in your property. The average residential burglary loss that individuals claim today on their homeowner's insurance is over $1,600. These burglary losses average over $400 less in homes that have home security systems installed. Now, it is absolutely true that a home security system, and I don't have one, all that I have, it's called a front door with a lock on it. But uh, while it is true, while a security system cannot prevent a home invasion or a burglary, uh, it can certainly provide a deterrent, they say. You walk by and you see people with these ADT signs in their yard that can act as a deterrent. I'm asking if I could just buy the sign, you know, maybe not even have the whole system if it's a deterrent within itself. It increases a sense of personal safety within the home and for the homeowner. But Moses says that the Lord has been our dwelling place in all generations. And within him, there is a type of security that when we account him as our spiritual home or our dwelling place, there is no physical crime against us that we cannot protect ourselves whenever he is our dwelling place. When we consider the life of Moses, who uh, this is his prayer in Psalms chapter number 90, it's been said of the life of Moses that, of course, it could be divided in about three different stages. The first 40 years of Moses' life, of course, was being raised largely in the palace of Pharaoh by Pharaoh's daughter. The second time of his life was on the backside of a desert, uh, watching the sheep of his father-in-law and watching uh, those sheep grow. And the final 40 years uh, then was him wandering in those desert places and wilderness places with the children of Israel trying to bring them out of their Egyptian bondage. They say that those first 40 years in the palace that Moses thought that he was somebody and that during the years on the backside of the desert it was then that he realized he was a nobody all alone and then whenever he was in the wilderness journey he realized that God could take a nobody and make them somebody. Amen. That was his life as we knew it. And it's believed that Moses wrote the Psalm number 90 near the end of the third stage of his life, near the end of that third, that third segment of 40 years of his life after wandering for about 40 years in the wilderness. So he's already experienced the height and the pomp and the prestige of the palace. He has, he has experienced solitary, if you will, almost confinement of being alone and estranged from his people on the backside of a desert. And he has experienced the hardships of a wilderness. He's experienced times of being hungry and having the responsibility of a full number of millions of people in reality to care for and to make sure that they had drink for them. 
And it's in all of these different places that he lived in different stages of his life that he says, God has been my dwelling place in all these generations. That whenever I was had a silver spoon put in my mouth in Pharaoh's court, that God, though, was in reality my dwelling place. That whenever I was on the backside of a desert and no one would even know me and I was estranged from everybody, God was my dwelling place. And during those times, I didn't know when the next meal was going to come or where the water was going to be for the people to drink. God has been our dwelling place throughout all these generations. He had, he had some literal dwelling places that he had become accustomed to throughout his life. Amen. He was, whenever he was born into a, a Jewish family, his mom and his dad, he knew uh, the humble house of, of slave quarters because at that moment in time, his mom, his dad, their, their parents, they were slaves in Egypt. So he knew the lowly, humble estate of a slave quarters. Amen. It was only after that his mom would make that basket of bulrushes and put him into the Nile River with hopes that his life would be spared and Pharaoh's daughter would find him that he would then have that grand, if you will, grand dwelling place of being in the palace of Egypt. So he has been exposed to a few different dwelling places. His third home, as I said, then would be out there in the desert, by and large, mostly probably being a tent. Raising and rearing his family, having his wife, being faithful to his father-in-law and to the sheep that they had. But his fourth home would be as a nomad. They would pick up stakes and they would move on and they would drive their stakes in the ground. For 40 years they would do that. And yet Moses still being exposed to these earthly dwelling places has this constant saying that the Lord has been his dwelling place all throughout the generations of his life. I believe that brings us to a place of great comfort for our own lives today because it doesn't really matter what your literal dwelling place is in this earth. You may not have a multi-million dollar home. I'm, I'm overwhelmed sometimes when uh, they have some of these shows and they say, yeah, we have a budget of, you know, half a million dollars to work with. And my next question is, what do they do for a living? You know what I'm saying? They, they got a half a million dollars, a million dollars. What do they do with it? It doesn't matter what your earthly abode here really is. It can be the shanty on the side of a hill. That really doesn't matter. Because whenever you are born into the family of God, we all share an equal dwelling place. And that is the Lord. Our, our wealth or measure or status in this socioeconomic world, it don't matter. Because we have a prize of our dwelling place. Being in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Moses wanted to get across to all people. That regardless of what your lot in life is, whether it's the palace of Pharaoh or the wandering of a wilderness, you can have a dwelling place that doesn't change with time, doesn't change with your status in this life. Amen. It is, might I say, a permanent dwelling. We take a poll this morning. There's probably several of you that's lived in more than one home upon your years upon this earth. Some of them you might could write a book about. Others, you, maybe you've reached your place in life that now it's very stable and it's your dream place, exactly what you wanted. But Moses is saying it doesn't matter from infancy to death. He says there's one thing that's remained permanent. He says, and that's been the dwelling place of the Lord. And he wanted Israel to know that God was their permanent 
dwelling place. I mean, if you look, if you look at their time of wandering in the wilderness, and if you were to look at, I believe it is Numbers, uh, I wrote it down this morning, Numbers 33. In Numbers 33, there's constantly this language. They pitched their tent and then they removed their tent and it will name the location. Or they encamped at a place, and then they departed from that place, and it names the location. And if you go through there to count, there are myriad and myriad of times of them pitching and removing and encamping and so on and so forth. But he wanted them to know, regardless how many times you've pitched and removed and done that, God has always been your dwelling place. Even more importantly, we need to make God. We need to make God. Our dwelling place. Someone say, amen. 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 Because there's a security. There's a security that comes with a home. There's security that comes with that. Amen. A security of, of having something to dwell, having somewhere to dwell and having protection, having walls around you, a, 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 a roof over your head as it would be. And he said, God is my dwelling place. And if you look at Psalms 91, Psalms 90 and 91 kind of go hand to hand just a little bit because they refer, both of them refer to God being a dwelling place. Psalms 91 and verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. So they're both speaking of some type of residence in God. Speak of some type of residence in, in God. But in the 90th Psalm, in Psalm 90, the one that Moses, that is attributed to Moses, he expressed that God has always been Israel's dwelling place. He said, God who is from everlasting to everlasting is the one who has always existed and always, for that matter, will exist. He is our dwelling. We have natural disasters across our world today that ravage people's homes, hurricanes, to uh, tornadoes, things that ravage and, and take something like a home from them, and they're looking at a pile of rubble that's totally just decimated their lives. But, but Moses is saying from everlasting time past to everlasting time forward, the one that always exists, so you'll always have a place. You'll always have a dwelling place in the Lord. Even the old father of the Jews, Father Abraham, affirmed this concept, amen, of the Lord being that dwelling place. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, and I don't know if I share that with the media, sorry, but Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8, the Bible states these words, that by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, Obeyed and went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which have foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was a sojourner a stranger in the land in which he was traveling and he was constantly looking for a dwelling place, a place that he never literally found here on the earth because it was a place whose foundations, whose builder and maker was God. You know what he was saying? My dwelling place that I long for, 
The one that I have an appeal toward is the Lord being my dwelling place. Amen. And Moses affirmed that God as Israel's dwelling place. Amen. He didn't elaborate on how to achieve that relationship with God. But in Psalms chapter 91, it directs us toward this secret, this safe dwelling place of the Lord. And it says if you can just abide under the shadow. What the Bible says, abide under the shadow of his wings. It's using this idea of a bird and wings very metaphorically. It's just using it as an analogy type purposes. Feather and wings in Psalms 91 being a place of protection, a place of refuge in our God. But the Bible refers to the wings of God in two different ways. Isaiah 40 and verse 31, if you have that one for me. The Bible says, and they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's comparing to the wings of an eagle that bears it up above the clouds, that allows it to soar to grand heights, that oftentimes they would even carry their offspring up above by use of their wings. But in Psalms 91 and verse 4, the wings of God, metaphorically being used, the wings of God connotes something quite different. That God would huddle his children, his people, under his wings. For the purpose of protection against the adversary. For the purpose of protection against their enemies. And if they could get under his wings, that they could survive whatever it was assailing them. They would be protected by the Lord another day. It was, it was the concept of a, of a bird almost like a hen, uh, exactly like a hen, even that the Lord alludes to Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry when he looks back on Jerusalem and said, oft times I would have gathered thee as a hen gathers her, 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 her chicks under its wings, but you would not. It's really the picture of a hen. And from my understanding, a hen, when it's going to gather its brood, it will cluck. A hen will cluck to signify to the brood that they need to come scurrying to hide under her wings for protection. That if they could get under her wings, she'll pull them in close and protect them. So she'll pull them in very tightly so that whatever is around them, a hawk or such, won't be able to pick off the little chicks as they run through the barnyard, but she'll be able to protect them under her Wings. They won't be able to get their talons into those little chicks, but they'll be protected by mama because they're underneath her wings. But it's important to denote that mom doesn't run to them. Mom doesn't run to them because there's too many of them to run to. But she gives the cluck, the sound, the indication that's beckoning them to come to where she is and gather underneath her wings God many times God God can do marvelous and great things but I believe he's making a sound in the last hour that's given a signal to us and the church that says come and gather gather together under the protection of my wings and I'll pull you in close and whatever the enemies and adversaries are that would wish to come against you I'll pull you in close but you're going to have to run to me you're you're does not the Bible also speak of him of a tower? Said the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run unto it and they are safe. 
They are safe. Amen. I want to run unto the Lord. I'm going to get under the shadow of his wing because he is my dwelling place. Listen, whenever trouble arises in our life, huh? It's not time to scurry across the barnyard. <laughs> whenever trouble arises in our life, I've always said people respond to trouble one of two ways. They either run to God or away from God. Hands down. That's just the way it works. Whenever trouble arises in your life, you don't need to be running away from God. You need to be running to God. You don't need to stop coming to church during those times. You need to be at church as much as you can be during those times. You don't need to disengage from prayer during those times. You need to engage in prayer in those times. You don't need to sit in church with your arms folded during those times. You need to go with your hands lifted during those times. It's not a time to run away. It's a time to become dependent, if you will, on the wings of the master and allow him to be those protective dwelling place that he is, that he is, that Moses said that he would be. Amen. <laughs> Again, it don't matter what your kind of earthly house you have when you have God as your house. Abraham dwelt in tents. He dwelt in tents on land that was owned by other people. Make it a little bit more plain. He dwelt in tents on land that was owned by other people. The only burial plot or the only land he ever had in Canaan was a burial plot was his stone and his lot for death, but yet he didn't feel homeless because God was his dwelling place. The Bible states these words in Hebrews 11 and verse 13. Again, he is, it's a permanent place when you allow God to be your dwelling place. He said, Hebrews 11 and verse number 13, the Bible states these words, these all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is and heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he had prepared for them a city there is that that verse I think that is very important in verse number 15 it says and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out you know what it's saying it's saying if they had been mindful of Egypt they might have had opportunity to have returned to Egypt in other words, if they were brought out of Egypt and the only thing that they were ever thinking about was Egypt, then they would probably had opportunity to return. They would found some reason because they would have been following the desire of what their mind was occupied with. They'd been mindful of it. They'd probably return to it. But whenever they left Egypt, they had to get to a place. They struggled at times with being mindful of whence where they came. They struggled with that. But they had to get somewhere along the line that they had to stop looking back and keep looking forward for the land of promise, one that flowed with milk and honey. Because if all their thoughts were surrounding Egypt, they would be back in Egypt. 
God brings us out to bring us in. Brings us out of Egypt to bring us into the land of promise. If God's brought you from some things, his purpose and will for your life is not for your mind just to be constantly preoccupied with where you were as though you would have a desire to go back to where you were. No, 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 no. He wants to become your dwelling place. He wants to become your new location. He, yes, he does. He, hallelujah. It's, that's the reason why the apostle Paul, this one thing, this one thing, I may have not apprehended a lot of things, but this one thing I have, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching and pressing forth to those things that are what? Before him. What's he saying? I can't be mindful of that back there and still make forward movement to what's still ahead of me. Amen. Someone say amen. He says, I'm going on. The old, the old song that we used to sing is, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels are beckoning me. Huh? Right? And what does the little last phrase? And I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. <laughs> All this is is a transitionary area. This, this is a transitionary. I know we have mailboxes outside our home, but folks, this is not the place where we are meant to be. This is just, a, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim passing through. I live here, yes. I participate in the things around me, yes. But this is a transition area. More importantly, this is a preparation area for something beyond the land, the blue, blue sky far, far away. Hallelujah. And it's what we do in this moment that determine if our feet... Hallelujah. On the day that the trump of God shall sound, whether it's leaving this earth or not. Amen. We, I want him to be my dwelling place. At the time of the New Testament writings concerning the Apostle Paul, the New Testament writings, they were under the government and the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had as many slaves as they did free men. It was almost a 50-50 type of split. And Paul, he, he write, wrote some instruction to, to many of them and give those that were enslaved, since about half of them were some hope to those that were enslaved who lived in homes that had masters and lived in homes that had people overseeing them and instructing them. Them. And many of them were, were away from their birthplace. They were away from the land of their nativity. And yet Paul was writing to them and encouraging them, amen, that if in this life, this is the reason why he could write this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. With the known world at that time being a good split of half free and half enslaved. Do you understand the slaves needed some hope that was beyond their present life. They needed some hope beyond where they were right there in the moment. Paul says if all you have is hope in this life, hope in Christ in this life. We're of all men most miserable. We need something that's beyond this life. And the fact of the matter is this folks. There is something beyond this life. Yet we live our lives oft times as though there isn't. We live our lives as though our 70 or 80 years here on the earth is all that we have. That's all we have up on this earth. But that's not the end of life. We will eternally spend life somewhere. 
I cannot over I cannot overstate that this morning. We will eternally spend life somewhere. And so what we do with these 70 or 80 years is vitally important. How we invest in these 70 and 80 years are vitally important. What we give ourselves to in these 70 or 80 years is vitally important because we do live life beyond this lifetime on the earth. I'm sorry today. There's too many that's living life with, as an ostrich with their head in the sand. Amen. There's light beyond the grave. This is a blip on the radar in comparison to eternity. Amen. Oh, I wanted to know, hey, there's something beyond just this life. There's still yet the life that is to come. See, and, and I know how we are. Now, I have a good, I have a good uh, explanation for you this morning, but we, we many times, you know, count, count time or compare time. It's all comparative or comparison to our age or where you are at in life, you know. And as a kid, you know, the summers were long. You know what I'm saying? It seemed like every day, you know, just consisted of riding my bike, drinking the Kool-Aid mom put out on the porch, making the yard next to us grew grass that was very tall. They would cut it. It would dry out. We would use that dry grass and make floor plans in our yard and make houses with living rooms and kitchens. And we would play. And it seems like summer lasted forever. Forever. I'm standing here today, and it's August the 5th. I'm, I'm asking myself this morning, where has summer went? Right? And from my understanding, then when you get even older, you know, my mom and dad is like, you know, each day it's like we just got up. It's time to go to bed. I'm serious. So we compare all this, you know, and a team that's looking forward to driving a car someday, you know, that's going to take forever to ever get there. You know? And then, you know, you get older in life and it's like, at breakfast, you're thinking about lunch and supper because they get there so fast, you better start thinking about them at breakfast time. Huh? It's all comparative to, to our age. I, heard, and I want to help somebody today. You know, we always say, well, it seems like when you get older, you know, time goes faster. I read an article on this, explained it very well, so it's going to help somebody today. It's because, like, when you're five years old, just one year of your life represents one-fifth of the totality of your life. But whenever you become 40 years old like me, one year represents 140th. You understand? A smaller fraction of the totality of my life. So as you're young, it seems like time takes a long time because it's a larger portion of the total life you have. But as you get older, it's a smaller part of the whole life that you have. Someone say amen. But that's the reason then why God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, that lives in the realm of eternity, and he had, he's not constrained by time. He says a day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But the reality of our years and of our days is this. Job perhaps said it best. He said they are few, and what else? They're full of trouble. He said they're few and full of trouble. Of trouble. Moses said, Lord, you've given us three score and five, three score and ten years, seventy, or if we get eighty 
years. But whenever you have the Lord as your habitation, see, you're not just limited by your 70 years or your 80 years. Because whenever you have him as your habitation, you are connected to eternality. Mm -hmm. And so he tells us, teach us to number our days. Quite frankly, the literal days that we have upon the earth. He said, because you don't need to get into a place, if we may, you don't need to get to a place that you live every day with the regrets from the past and then fears about the future. Some people live every day just regretful over their past. God doesn't want you to live in a constant saga of just being regretful over your past. That's not living. Nor does he want you to live in fear and trembling over what's into the future. But when you make him as your dwelling place, you're able to let go of the past. And you're able to embrace the future of what God has for you. Because really, folks, again, our time spent here is very minuscule when compared with eternity. Transition time. That's what we're in. Transition time. The Christians in the early church, the book of the New Testament, the early church, the Christians, a lot of times they were very much so alienated from society as a whole. The Jews of the time, they were ostracized from the Jews of the time because Christians of the early church accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Jews were struggling with the concept that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. The Gentile society, they excluded them and ostracized them because, well, here they are. They were Jewish. <laughs> but whenever the Roman government even, you know, existed during their time, they had a problem with them. They were persecuted by uh, that government because of their religion or their beliefs. But the Bible says the apostle Paul wrote, most believe that Paul was the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews 10 and verse 35, here's what Paul says to those Christians of the New Testament church. He says, cast not away. Hebrews 10, 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And he says, for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Hold on. Paul says, don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your confidence. He says, and he breaks it just plain. And he's talking about the span of life. He says, it's just a little while. And he that said he would come is going to come. You know what Paul's telling the people? You need to live your days with the view of the future and what's going to happen in the future in mind. And he's not talking about when you retire. <laughs> oh, boy. He's not talking about when you retire and, you know, if you have a home. And I, I understand we got to be wise to think all these things. But what Paul's alluding to is this. you got, you got to live your life with the rapture in view. Yeah. you got to live your life with your time and death with the maker in view. I wonder, folks, what would each day actually turn out as if we lived our lives with those things 
really in mind. I guarantee you this, some things of that day wouldn't matter as much as they do sometimes when we view it differently. Whether or not we should come to church on Wednesday or Sunday morning or Sunday night might have a little different impression upon us if we viewed it with that type of perspective. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul says, don't, 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 don't cast away your confidence. He says, it's just, a, it's just a little, just a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Thank God for heaven someday. Because you know what? Everything that we get in it is going to be better. It's going to provide a better environment for you than what you have right now. Better government. <laughs> Honestly. Better government for you than what you have right now. Better benefits. David said he loaded me down daily with benefits. Imagine being there where he is. Better benefits. Better health. Right? Sister Sharon. Better health. Amen. Better rest. Some of y'all toss and turn during the night, go to bed late, get up early because you just can't sleep. Better rest. Better home. Better economy. The Bible speaks of heaven as the land of no mores. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more pain. No more disappointment. No more bills. Huh? No more doctor visits. No more bad news. No more departures. No more death. No more job denials. No more, no more, no more. And where it is on one hand the land of no more, it is also on the other hand the land of evermore. Peace evermore. Happiness evermore. Singing evermore. Paradise evermore. Health evermore. The Lord's presence evermore. And so... Moses says, don't only teach us to number our days, but teach us to apply our hearts to wisdom. Because we got to hold our confidence. Teach us, teach us to apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach us to make those significant, eternally significant choices, Moses. As Moses did. Remember what Moses said. He said, I'd, in Hebrews, he said, I, I, I'd much rather suffer the afflictions with the people of God, rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He's applying his heart to wisdom. Here's the fact of the matter. Whenever God is your dwelling place, is this, that no matter what is happening right now, God's still in charge. God's still in charge. As hard that it can look, some of you have been at those junctures in the road. God is still in charge. This life that we walk is absolutely many times a walk by faith. Here's a fact always took away in your brain and heart. That is this. What we see in the natural is not necessarily how things really are. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there are things that take place in the supernatural. That our eyes cannot gleam into or see or even maybe begin to understand. The natural doesn't always tell the story of how things really are. And so Moses says in Psalms, Psalms 90 and verse 14, he says, Then, Lord, just, you know, satisfy us with mercy. 
satisfy, satisfy us with mercy. And many of us, I believe, can relate to Moses. Satisfy us with mercy. Because Moses had made an error. Moses had made an error in the wilderness. An error that would consequently keep him out of entering into the land of promise. The best that Moses would ever get would be able to climb up a mount and view the land of promise from that vantage point. He wasn't allowed to enter in because the Bible says when the Lord had him and was going to have him to speak to the rock that followed him in the wilderness and the New Testament scripture shines light on the Old Testament. He said that rock was Christ. That whenever he had, was going to have Moses speak to the rock in the wilderness to bring forth water, the Bible says that Moses struck the rock twice. And he did it in the sight of all the people. Matter of fact, the Lord even spoke to Moses. He said, had you not done this in the sight of all the people, we might have been able to take care of this. But since you made this a public matter, I'm going to have to take care of it publicly. It's been a private matter, been different. But see, there was a type that was broken in all that. If that rock that followed them was Christ, Moses struck him, struck him twice. And according to typology, New Testament scripture, Christ was only going to die once, be struck once. So see, he broke a typology right from the beginning. If that rock was Christ, he struck him twice. And that wasn't to be the case. And he said, as a result of that, you're not going to enter into the land of promise. And so Moses, with this understanding, though he's still, though, not going to allow his past to live every day with regret over what he'd done in his past. So what he's asking for the Lord, satisfy us with mercy. Because mercy is what? Is when you get what you don't deserve. I know I got some things back here. I know I got some lingering past that could cause some awful regrets. But God, I'm asking you to allow me to live each day with mercy. That is to receive what I don't deserve. Huh? Help me to allow me to live each day with mercy. Because I don't want to live just pining over the, the failings of my past and regrets of my past. We lose a lot of life sometimes. Even in our Christian lives, we lose a lot of life sometimes because we spend it on asking God to reverse what we messed up. Yeah. Moses get forgiven, absolutely. But there's still the consequence of his mistake. Now, we all have stories. I have some, you know, someone made a mistake and it seems like the consequence of their mistake was taken care of obliterated but the fact of the matter is most time that's the exception and not the rule amen you still have the consequence but that doesn't mean you can't live the rest of your life each day satisfied with the mercy the mercy of God God you don't have to reverse what's back there just give me mercy for today for what I did back then amen You'd be better off just asking God rather than to reverse your mess in the past. Just ask him to give you the mercy for today to enjoy the present every day. You're going to walk by his mercy. He said to make us glad in verse number 15. To make us glad. Let my joy be full and found in the presence of God. He said in verse 17 to let his beauty be seen in us. What? Bad mistake, Moses. Is asking for God's beauty to be seen in him? Hmm? 
Because the real beauty of the Lord, are you listening to me? The real beauty of the Lord doesn't have so much to do with what you have done, but what you become. The beauty of the Lord in my life isn't what I have done, but in what I become. Because if it had to do with what I have done, there's enough stuff I've done. That for sure would not reflect the beauty of the Lord. But whenever you see what I was and where I am and what I'm becoming, you see that's the handiwork of a master. That's the handiwork of God, that he could take somebody from there and bring them to here. That's the beauty and the mercy of the Lord. A lot of that's created about how our attitude is in those moments. There was, a, there was a man that he went, he went to the Caribbean on a mission, uh, a missions trip building project there in the Caribbean. And while he was there, uh, they're, they're on their tour of an island one day. He noticed this poor little old man that was hunched over, over from all the arduous labor that he was involved in. He was pushing a wheelbarrow laden with heavy material. And uh, this man was telling the account, said how, how he felt so much pity for this gentleman. Uh, it seemed like no matter how hard he worked, he was destined, you know, only earn a few dollars, surely just pushing that wheelbarrow around with all this stuff and probably could never get ahead and probably, you know, lived in not the best of best of properties and probably would never own a car, you know, just he could just tell from this guy's life it just must be horrid, it just hopeless and quite bleak. And uh, so he couldn't get that man off his mind and his impoverished lifestyle as it seemed to be because the man pushed a wheelbarrow, but it didn't look as though that, you know, he was downtrodden. He had a smile on his face, but he could just say, surely anybody in that condition is just going to, you know, have a horrible life. Couldn't get him off his mind. And there in that little Caribbean island there, they had went uh, to church that night with revival services. And where they visited that place, there was that little old man that uh, pushed the wheelbarrow there with all the material on it. it. says his dirty clothes were gone. He had on clean clothes. He had his work shoes were gone. He had on nice, clean, white shoes. And he said, as I watched him in service, he would just dance and dance before the Lord and magnify God. And he said, I understood in that moment that, you know what, that man was content right there in that state. It didn't matter where his earthly lot was because he had a lot in another world. He was a citizen of another country. Hallelujah. Folks, we are citizens of another country. I know I was born in, 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 in Princeton, Indiana at Gibson General Hospital. It states it upon my birth certificate. And as a result of that, according to the laws of this land, I am, I am a citizen of the United States and there's perks and privileges that are given to me. But whenever I was born again of the water and the spirit, I became a citizen of another land and another country. And I have some perks and privileges this morning. That supersede this earthly life. That's right. That I could never, never garner right here on this earth. Amen. Because he's my dwelling place throughout all generations. Amen. The Israelites, they lived from event to event. And I'll try to bring this thing home here today. They lived from event to event. Moses and God. We never see in the Old Testament scripture where Moses 
tried to bend the arm or the ear of God to reconsider his decision about not allowing him into the promised land. We never read that. But instead, we read in Psalms in that prayer, he's just asking God for mercy just day by day, that he can live day by day so that his life and what he did might bring glory unto the Lord. Israel, that's all they did, though. They lived from event to event, miracle to miracle, from place to place, promised land, tent location to tent location. And sometimes as Christians, we find ourselves living from event to event, miracle to miracle, Easter Sunday to Christmas Eve candlelight services, revival in the spring to revival in the fall. Special church dinner to another potluck and thing over here. But this isn't an event-to-event relationship. This is a daily walk. This is a daily walk. This is not a Sunday and Wednesday event-to-event thing. This is a daily walk. (laughs) And I'm not living for God just for the earthly benefits. I live for God because of fellowship with him. Huh? We have skewed it greatly if we're just living for God because of the benefits. That's not what he wants from us as, as children of God. He wants to be in fellowship with us. Any, any parent would just feel absolutely heart-sickened if the only relationship they had from their children was based upon what they could get from mom and dad. No. They would want the relationship to be able to be based upon because they just have a love and affection for their parents. And I'm telling you the same. God's heart sickened if people only see him as the gift giver, the healer, the provider. Sometimes he just wants to be recognized for who he is. He's God. And I just love the Lord with all of my heart and with all of my mind, with all of my soul and all of my strength just because of who he is to be in fellowship with him. If you can stand with me this morning, I'm going to go to the last, chapter, last verse there, Exodus 29 and verse 45 and 46. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. Verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. Why? That I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. In other words, God brought Israel out of Egypt with a purpose. He wanted to dwell among them them (laughs) he wanted to dwell among them but also what Moses understood not only did God want to dwell among them he wanted Israel to claim him as their dwelling place as their dwelling place (laughs) it's not Lord I want you to I want you to provide a tree to put in the water when it's bitter in order to make it sweet It's not, Lord, I want you to send down manna from heaven whenever it seems like we're lacking food. Or quail would be nice every once in a while, God. 
or Lord, I want you to divide the Red Sea on the left and on the right so we can walk. No, 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 no. So that I can do well among you and that you then would reciprocate and then account me as your dwelling place. Now, here's the fact of the matter, and you've probably heard me teach you preach this all these times before. Because if you'll make God your dwelling place, then you'll have manna from heaven, and you'll have quail that falls, and you'll have water that comes from a flint stone. But if you just look at the event or the one little thing, that's, all, that, that's, that, that's the totality of everything for you. But if you get the God that is the supplier of all those things, then there'll be times the miracle will happen, and there'll be times the healing will come, and there'll be times the roof is there for you because you've made him your dwelling place. Amen. We bow our heads in this place this morning. Hallelujah. Begin to pray to the Lord. Father, I come to you right now. God, I'm so grateful, Lord, unto you today. Lord, let me not skew, Lord, the importance, God, of having you as our God in fellowship with you and more importantly, making you our dwelling place. God, our years of life upon this earth are very fragile and they are futile, Lord, if they are not investing in something beyond the temporal, but investing in the eternal. I pray, oh God, today, please turn our attentions. God, please turn our attentions. Coax our hearts and our minds, God. As Paul would say, it's just a little while, Lord, and he that is tearing will tarry no more, and he's going to come, Lord. I pray, God, today help me to live every day God not with the regrets Lord over my past or contending with the consequences the Lord of something I've done last year but Lord help me to live each day with mercy God under the pleasure Lord of receiving what I don't deserve the handiwork of God because you have done a work in each of our lives you have taken this God from this place to another place when we've allowed Lord you to be our dwelling place you wanted to dwell among us and we want you to dwell among us we we want to dwell in you and you and us. I pray, oh God, today. Help us to live the way, God, that you would want us to live. I pray, God, in this walk up on this earth. God, it's just a moment of time. It's just, Lord, life is a vapor. It's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. Lord, we, our eternal souls, are going to live somewhere for all eternity. God, bring that back to the forefront of our minds. Help us, God, not to be with our heads in the sands and shrug off the importance of the life, God, and the preparation. God that's given to us in this moment stir up our spirits oh God stir up the gift within us Lord by the putting on of your hands and help us to recognize Lord Jesus you for who you are I pray God in this world today and that world to come Lord and will not fail to thank you and praise you oh Lord Jesus because you are a dwelling praise God in all generations teach us Father to number our days and the the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah and hallelujah and amen. The church say amen. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.